Welcome to the Rise and Thrive podcast, the podcast where we discuss how to meet the moment and love your life, even when it's hard. I'm Mary Hayes Greco. I'm speaking to you now in the new solo version of this podcast without the company of my former cohort, Erin Warhol. Erin has moved on into a very busy phase at her dream job at Minnesota Public Radio. And I miss her, (laughs) but I'm so glad she's there and bringing her leadership and insights to NPR, which I value every single day. She says hello. It's been a while since I've sent out a podcast because, frankly, a lot of the time in the past year or so, I have been rather speechless. I went through two large losses in my family life, and I also inherited some new responsibilities that have taken up a lot of my time and attention. So... When I thought about my languishing podcast, the answer inside was, uh, I got nothing yet. Strangely, through my recent silence and absence from public conversation, people keep signing up for this podcast and from my newsletter. Week after week, another bunch of people, six people, 10 people, 40 people, 30 people are signing up for my work. Uh, And my husband comes to me and says, you know, apparently people want to hear from you. Why don't you share something out there? So finally, I feel that inner voice clearing her throat and wanting to share something from my heart to yours. Today, I'm going to read two short essays from my first book, The New Kitchen Mystic, which I wrote many years ago during a similar difficult time. These essays, Loss and Getting Up Again, have been relevant to my current moment, and I dare say there might be something useful to some of you. So... Here goes. Enjoy. Loss. Loss is an event that I think of as an exception to normal life, an aberration. Except that's not right. That's wrong. It happens so often. I've had many losses. A child, a best friend, a dog, our family business. If this sort of thing isn't happening to me right now, it's happening to someone I know or someone on the news. No matter how much I say that I understand that life is impermanent and not under my control, I admit it is still a shock to me when this proves itself true. Every time I face a loss and I'm living through a time of grief, I remember a few things. I remember that the universe is simultaneously dispassionate and compassionate towards its members. It is dispassionate in that It is no respecter of persons. It does not care how much money you lost, or how embarrassing this scandal is, or how gross the accident was, or how young the children are when your husband contracts a terrible illness. This cool dispassion is the meaning within the bumper sticker, shit happens. On the other hand, the presence within this universe is at the same time completely compassionate towards us when we are suffering through anything, large or small. When I am reeling from sudden loss, I turn vulnerably towards that presence, and I find myself in a warm pocket of peace and benevolence amid my grief. My heart opens in love and compassion for myself and others, and I soften into the richness of the present moment. Every need I have is met as fast as I can think of it, Friends and strangers alike become emissaries of this love. At these times I think, ah, I understand now. 
I will always remember this. And I don't. This is the experience expressed in another slogan, Grace Happens. Then comes the problem of integrating my loss into daily life. It's difficult to accomplish gracefully. After I've granted myself a certain amount of time to be emotional and get support, I rally myself and march back into normal life with thoughts like, come on now, get back on the ball, get back in the saddle, get back into production. But it's hard to accept being with grief as long as it actually takes to emerge from it. I become painfully aware that no one is paying me for all the hours I seem to need to stare into space after a loss, and how impatient with myself I am when I am not capable of being at the top of my game at work. I find myself resisting staying soft and vulnerable to the presence in the way that I was in the midst of the crisis. And there are times when I cannot bear to walk forward for very long with this awareness of my real helplessness. Yesterday morning, I looked out my window and found a hurt sparrow lying on its back out in the cold. I ran outside and scooped it gently into my hands. My intention was to move it to a quiet place away from my dog so it could die undisturbed. Its neck was obviously broken. But as I carried it, the bird looked into my eyes with a peaceful curiosity, apparently unafraid. It was so alive. I didn't have the heart to put somebody who was really looking at me down onto the hard ground to die. So I brought him inside. Like a child would, I put him in a shoebox with flannel rags and I got him some water with rescue remedy, which I fed him with an eyedropper. The adult, dispassionate part of me observed my futile behavior with wry acceptance. I knew the bird was going to die. But somehow I had to do this anyway. My young daughter immediately became absorbed in the process of helping the bird. Even though I warned her we would try this only for a little while and the bird would probably die, she became passionately bonded with her bird within moments. She fed him water punctually on the half hour, cooed encouragement, brought him pictures to look at while he was resting. She kept seeing signs that the bird's condition was dramatically improving as a result of her faith and effort. I tried to reflect reality to her from time to time, but it was obvious that she wouldn't accept it. The sparrow died that evening. My daughter was stunned and hurt to approach his shoebox and find him still, his bright eyes closed. She threw herself into my arms and cried hot tears while still shaking her head in disbelief. She had to tell me the exact details of her latest nursing efforts and exactly how he looked when she found him dead. She gazed deeply into space, absorbed in sorrow, as we rocked together in the dim room. The next morning, she needed to take his body out and look at it. Again, the look of grave sorrow on her face. She shook her head a little and sighed, still not quite believing. She insisted that we take several photos of him before putting him back into his burial bag. Then we drew pictures for her to take to school, one of her feeding the living bird with a dropper, and one of her crying as she looked at him in death. She showed the pictures to her classmates and told them the story. That night, I asked her how she felt about it, and she said, I'm still sad, but not as much. It's passing. 
It seems to me that most of us are like children, bonding passionately to people and things with the cry of mine. Then we experience desolation as we discover that they aren't. At these times, the wise one within whispers, I know this really hurts. This is just the way it is. We rock together in the dim light, pondering, staring into space, and healing comes. Getting up again. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. William Shakespeare. There are times in your life when you feel like an actor in a play that has suddenly been rewritten without warning. There you are, performing your role as you have studied and rehearsed it, and suddenly there is a flurry of stagehands removing the familiar props, and your leading partner is cut from the scene. You stare into dim spaces outside the footlights, seeking the face of the director, feebly calling, Line? Death, injury, divorce, disease, business failure. Who doesn't know the feeling of having the rug pulled out from under you and hitting the hard ground of reality with a sickening thud? We all go through these things at times, and we face the difficult task of getting up again. The phoenix is an ancient symbol of rebirth, a triumph of the spirit's renewal after apparent destruction. Originating in Egyptian mythology, the phoenix is a bird that periodically consumes itself by fire and rises renewed from its own ashes. It would be nice if people could rise immediately from their wreckage with a flurry of wings and golden sparks flying, but our process is usually more gritty and pedestrian than that. It looks like hobbling to your knees, pulling yourself up with some outside support, leaning on something while you attempt to breathe evenly. Then you limp slowly forward on a dimly lit trail, the horizon obscured by undergrowth. Eventually, your strength returns and your trail meets up with a larger track and a clear view. Until then, you have to proceed with an ample supply of support, perspective, hope, and will. When we are suffering from a personal loss or catastrophe, it helps to get some support from others who really understand our situation. We are not alone. There are others who are going through some, something similar right now, and they may have a larger compassion and bigger ears for the details of our sorrow than our friends who are tired of hearing about it. These days, there are support groups for just about everything we can think of. There are also experts who can offer some experienced perspective on our recovery process. It helps to hear that I'm dealing with something that many others have faced, that it's not a personal attack on me for some imagined unworthiness. I need to be reminded that healing takes time. I've heard that it takes at least three years to grieve and integrate the divorce of a long marriage. And when my friend fell off a roof and suddenly became paralyzed from the neck down, a rehab therapist told him that it takes an average of five years to come to acceptance and happiness such a change. I think that hope is not a feeling. It is a discipline. Hope is a set of behaviors and attitudes that I adopt to carry myself forward as if my life matters, even though at the moment 
I might feel that it doesn't. When I'm facing a time of heavy emotion and lack of direction, it's an act of hope to tend to health habits like eating and sleeping and to keep a minimum level of beauty and order in my appearance and my environment. When sailors are kept ashore by stormy seas, they mend nets and clean the boat for future sailing. They know that the storm is finite and that work at sea will call them again. It's natural to experience depression after a major loss. It's a discipline of hope that prevents the chemistry of grief from turning into depression and getting too great of a hold on me and set it settling in for a long time. Vitamins, exercise, fresh air, sunlight will help my body continue to clear through, through this stress. Listening to music, especially stringed instruments, is a balm for a sore heart and jangled nerves. A good hearty cry in someone's arms is certainly called for too. I need to discipline myself to stop negative self-talk in my mind and switch my thoughts to positive statements. And though I may feel lacking in spiritual inspiration at the moment, I can build my physical strength and my will until vision is kindled again in my life again. The will is the spiritual mechanism by which goals are attained and new dreams become manifested. If we are experiencing a lack of dreams or goals, we can still go about the business of strengthening and toning our wills until they have a new job to do. Establishing a routine, sticking to it, is one way of strengthening the will. Rhythmic exercise, drumming music, and accomplishing small distasteful tasks will also help. At times I strengthen my will by insisting that I am punctual for all my appointments because I tend to be 10 minutes late. The mere accomplishment of being on time for a few days in a row begins to make me feel strong and toned and ready for larger challenges. Strengthening the will is done by the same principles as strengthening muscles on an exercise machine. Isolate and focus on a number of small individual tasks in my life and work at each one of them regularly. It may seem silly or futile some days, but strength of will builds and eventually a zest for a new challenge does too. And when that, that zest is there, it attracts inspiration for new roles and goals in life. At this point, we can usually look back at our earlier catastrophe or loss and feel some appreciation for its occurrence, sometimes even see how it was necessary for us to let go of that precious something that was wrestled out of our hands. I never used to comprehend why anyone would want to watch football on TV. It seems so brutal to me, but I think now that some of the charm of this sport is watching everyone get up again after getting sacked. After one of my losses, I spent some time watching football and was enlivened by the sight of these huge guys jumping up again after apparently being creamed by a mighty tackle. They emerge from under this pile of equally huge guys, shake their heads a little bit, bounce up and down a couple times, slap each other, jog back to the line with a little spank of support from a nearby buddy. They don't take anything personally. This is a game. History provides us with numerous examples of people getting up again after having the wind knocked out of them. Wars and earthquakes have shivered through the human race time after time, leaving wounds and wreckage in their wake. And yet, cities get rebuilt, 
people fall in love again. Poets sing the stories of the heroes, and their mother cries out her impassioned, Why? to caring witnesses. The experience of loss and getting up again is an integral part of our human adventure. I learned something special about a spaceship that was sent up some years ago as an ambassador to unknown civilizations outside our solar system. Among the artifacts of human culture is a piece of music that was chosen to represent the human spirit. Out of 10,000 songs that were proposed, the song that speeds towards our unknown friends in the universe is a Bulgarian folk song that embodies a message of mourning, strength, determination, and the thirst for freedom. I think it's wonderful that scientists chose to be vulnerable to the unknown witness in the universe to say, Hi, we're here. It isn't easy, but we keep getting up again. Freedom calls. After the final no, there comes a yes. And on that yes, the future of the world depends. Wallace Stevens